Welcome to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. It's about the Bills and the beer. Now, here's your host, John Murphy. Welcome. Welcome back to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. Good to have you here. I'm John Murphy. I'm the play-by-play voice of the Buffalo Bills, and we are here pretty much every week. We talk about the Bills and the beer. The beer is Sullivan's Brewing Company from Kilkenny, Ireland, imported to the United States from Ireland. Have you tried it yet? It's pretty interesting stuff. Sullivan's Maltings Irish Red Ale, Sullivan's Irish Gold Ale, Sullivan's Black Marble Stout. You can find it on tap in bars and restaurants and uh, pubs all over the country. You can find it in stores, in cans. Our U.S. market is growing by leaps and bounds. You can find Sullivan's, of course, in Buffalo, New York, where I am. You can find it all over upstate New York. You can find it in Saratoga, Albany, Syracuse, Utica. You can find Sullivan's in New York City and Long Island, in northern New Jersey. We'll talk about that in a moment. We're in Ohio, Cleveland, and Youngstown, Ohio. We're in Georgia, in Atlanta, in Savannah, and other parts of Georgia. Just recently, we're, we've been added in New England, Boston, Massachusetts, and Rhode Island. We talked about that a week or so ago here on the podcast. Sullivan's Maltings Irish Red Ale is growing. We're going to talk about the beer and the beer market in New Jersey with Mike Decker of Kohler Distributing. He'll join us in a couple of minutes. He's our beer guest this week on the podcast. We're going to talk about the Bills with a man who called Buffalo's latest game, Sunday's win over the Miami Dolphins in Miami. We're going to talk with Fox TV's Matt Millen. Former NFL linebacker, Penn State linebacker, 12 years in the NFL. Played with Oakland, played with Washington, played with San Francisco. He also is the former president and general manager of the Detroit Lions. A great career as a player and as a broadcaster. And an interesting career, not uh, very successful at all as a GM and the president for the Detroit Lions. And in recent years, just a couple of years ago, he survived a serious heart condition at a heart transplant. Matt Millen, he's got great stories. He's got interesting perspective on the Bills from his championship perspective. We had a great conversation coming up with Matt Millen coming up here on the podcast. He did a good job on the Bills game in Miami on Sunday. So did the Bills for that matter. The 35 to nothing shutout win over the Dolphins. This Bills' first shutout in five years. That was when they beat the Patriots with Jacoby Brissett at quarterback. They beat him in Foxborough. And what do you know? Brissett got most of the snaps this past Sunday for Miami. The other day, Howard Simon of uh, WGR Radio asked me, would Tua Tungabaloa made a difference if it was him instead of Jacoby Brissett? Would the Dolphins have put some points on the board, maybe made a game of it if he was in? You know, I can't say he would. I can't say yes. I'm just not impressed with Tua last year or this year. He's only got 11 NFL, NFL starts. And I wouldn't give up on him yet, but I really have not seen much from Tua Tungabaloa. I don't think it would have made a difference at all if he played this past Sunday in Miami. Now, the Bills quarterback, Josh Allen, you know, we haven't seen a whole lot from him so far this year, and especially compared to last year when he almost dominated every game. But this past Sunday, we did see the Buffalo offense put five touchdowns on the board against a pretty decent Miami defense. Five touchdowns. A lot of people wringing their hands, worried about Josh Allen, what's wrong, what's going on, why aren't they scoring. I really don't understand that. I think that's alarmist. I think Josh is all right. He didn't play awful against the Dolphins this past Sunday. He played better than he did the week before against Pittsburgh. He made a great touchdown throw to Stephon Diggs first quarter. It was kind of an ad-lib play for he and Diggs. Josh is such an amazing athlete, he can go off script. You know, he can throw against the grain. I mean, Diggs slipped and fell, was down, and got up and got in position, made the catch. Josh found him. I think Josh made some good plays in the win against the Dolphins. No no question the Bills' offense can get better. 
But the Dolphins and Steelers' defenses are good. They're among the better defenses in the league, I believe. The Bills' offense, still finding its way, let's say that. And I think they'll find it. I do think they'll get better. And that includes Josh Allen. One thing I really liked in Sunday's Dolphins game, the offensive mix the Bills had, much better. Almost 50-50 passes to runs, not 2-1 to passing as it was the week before against the Steelers. Now, there are mitigating factors. You know, they're trying to play a little bit of catch-up late in the game against Pittsburgh and trying to protect the league late in, lead late in the game against Miami. But I think a 50-50 mix, slightly tilted towards the pass, is really the secret for success for the Bills. That's the mix I think they should shoot for. I think the offensive line. The Bills' offensive line is getting more comfortable. Cody Ford settling in at right guard, played the entire way against the Dolphins. I think they found a a good role for running back Zach Moss, his first action of the season. Devin Singletary played very well. He continues to show the quickness and burst that he's demonstrated so far this year as he uh, kind of worked on conditioning and becoming a quicker runner. His 46-yard run on the second play from scrimmage was outstanding. But I still think there's a role for Matt Breida to play also. Didn't get much action at all against the Dolphins. And I think they'll find one too. The Buffalo defense, sensational against the Dolphins. They've got emerging stars. Greg Russo, first-round draft pick. He started this past Sunday at defensive end. A.J. Epinesa, last year's first first pick. He played great against the Dolphins. Taron Johnson. As he moves into the middle of his career now, you know, Taron Johnson is not just the third best corner, the nickel corner. He's become an outstanding player, made some big plays, big plays in, in the uh, Dolphins game. They got Star Latulale back in the lineup, Buffalo did. They got A.J. Klein making plays at linebacker when Tremaine Edmonds left with leg cramps. Matt Milano played one of his best games ever as a Buffalo Bill. They're really emerging on defense. They really are. It's exciting to think of the Bills this year with this defense tacked on to the type of offense that was sensational last year. And I think that offense will come around. The sky's the limit for this team. And they're going to get there, I think, sooner than you think. This week, next two weeks, both winnable games. Washington this coming Sunday and Houston the following week. I expect the Bills to win them both. Then they hit the road for two tough games in the AFC at Kansas City, and at Tennessee. But look, the season has just begun. The Bills still settling into what they do on offense and defense, still settling into the right playing time for their roster. Who plays when? How often do they play? What situations? But I think they're on schedule at 1-1. One and one. They are starting to look like one of the best teams in the league and starting to become maybe the class of the AFC. I got that from that win over the Dolphins on Sunday. Going to talk more about that with our first guest. He's up next, Matt Millett. Longtime NFL linebacker, former NFL GM in Detroit, now a color analyst for Fox TV. He did the Bills game at Detroit. He saw him up close and personal. Matt Millen coming up next right here on Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. You're listening to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff with John Murphy. A very special guest on the line with us right now on the Sullivan's Pro Football Podcast, a former NFL player, a former NFL executive, and now, of course, a broadcaster. We're with Matt Millen of Fox TV, also does broadcasting for Big Ten Network. He played 12 years in the NFL for the Raiders, the 49ers, and Washington, won four Super Bowls. Of course, he was president, CEO, general manager of the Detroit Lions as well. Matt Millen, who did the Bills' uh, victory over the uh, Miami Dolphins the other day on TV. Matt, thanks for coming on with us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, my, no problem, Murph. How you been? I've been well. Thanks. And a couple of days since I saw you. What did you think of the Bills uh, Sunday and their win over Miami? 
I, so here's the best here's the best takeaway for the Bills is they didn't play as well as they can and they still won. That's that's a big positive, right? So I thought they could be there's some some places they can improve on and um, and they know it. And but overall, you know, you come away with the 35 nothing uh, shutout and it's uh, it's one of those games that you get back to the, the locker room and you go, we won. But, man, there's some things we didn't do very well. So that's a good thing. What do you think they did not do well? What where are they lacking? Well, it was more consistency, you know. Uh, so, I think Josh Allen is one of the stars of this league. I think he's got all the uh, physical capabilities, that, and he's he's learning. You know, he's still learning. It's only his fourth year, so he's still banking a lot of things in his brain. So, I think uh, you know he missed a couple of guys. There's some decisions he he would probably have liked to have had back, but. Um, you know, he made some plays when he had to. He uses his legs the right way. I mean, he's got he, – I mean, it, he's fun to watch, right? And it's going to be fun to watch him turn into what he's going to become. But I just think this game here was just average. I thought the offensive line played uh, well in terms of protection. Uh, in the run game, they were okay. I thought Singletary had, you know, had one big run. I thought Zach Moss had a, a nice, tough day running the ball especially at the end of the game when he was just grinding, just running through people. And I thought defensively, I thought there were some guys who play. I thought Milano played well. Uh, I thought Epinesa had a good game. I thought their secondary. I thought uh, Johnson, uh, 24, the kid off the edge. That kid thought he played a pretty good, pretty good game. Actually, to be really frank, it was maybe, maybe the best secondary play for both teams that I've seen in a while because I thought Miami's secondary, their corners were really good. That was, that was, there was some good secondary play uh, on Sunday. Yeah. Well, I'd take you back to Josh for a moment. Uh, when watching the broadcast, your broadcast over, you mentioned about Josh, you know, he's got the size of Roethlisberger, the athleticism of John Elway and the arm of um, uh, Brett Favre. That's high praise. Those are all hall of famers or future hall of famers. You mentioned, or you think Josh is that good, huh? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I think uh, I'm not alone in that opinion. Um, so I talked to, you know, a lot of people in the league and and uh, that is a that's a, a common that's a common uh, opinion on on Josh Allen. I think he's you know, I think things are still I think some things are still new for him. So let me give this example. Uh, so I was speaking to him uh, last week and uh, and I gave him this this little scenario because it was presented to me when I was a rookie. Um, and it was, uh, it's about playing at two different positions, but it's the same thing. And so uh, Willie Lanier, one of the greatest middle linebackers to ever play my rookie year, he took a liking to me for some reason. And after a game, he came up to me and he said to me, he said, Matt, let me explain this to you. He said, middle linebacker is like playing quarterback. They're two unique positions and that you're running a show and it's like driving a car. When you first learn to drive a car, you get in there and you pay attention to everything and you slow down and you see everything that's in front of you and you just go ahead and drive slow and take it easy. He said two months later, you're driving a little bit faster. And two years later, you're driving like you think you know what you're doing, but you still haven't seen anything. And, then, and eventually you end up turning, you, you turn into a race car driver and you're, you know, Running the the running the Trans Am, driving all over the place, right? Yeah. yeah. He said that's the same exact thing. And so when I presented that to Josh, he agreed with that. 
And he said, things are starting to slow down, but you still don't see everything yet. And uh, I actually said the same thing to Tua. And Tua said, I still see the car in front of me, and I'd like to drive stick, but I'm still on automatic. <laughs> Which I thought was a great answer, because that's where a second-year quarterback would be. And Josh is where a fourth-year quarterback should be. The thing that lets him be so much more successful is that his physical skills are so good. I mean, he's got a cannon for an arm. You see the field pretty well, and he can move. And in today's game, with his size, you know, he's – He's got all the attributes you want. I think the sky's the limit for Josh Allen. People in, our, in Buffalo are quite excited about the way the Bills' defense played against the Dolphins, and even the week before against Pittsburgh, they've given up one touchdown in a couple of weeks. What's your assessment of the Bills' defense, and, and how good can they be? And you've already mentioned some of the standouts, but how good do you think this defense might be? Yeah, and so I'm, you know, I'm just watching. I only watched the, you know, the first game against the Steelers, yeah. and of course now, but. Um, on, from a personnel standpoint, um, the first thing they do is they get after it pretty good, right? So that, I think that's less Frazier. So less is always going to have a well-coached team. That's the first thing. They don't very, make very, very many mistakes. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a cliche, but, you know, you don't beat yourself. And they haven't done that. But they have some young guys that are just like Epinesa. Epinesa, he's – I watched him at, at Iowa. He's got – He's got good skill set. He's got some things that he could take advantage of. You just haven't seen it be consistent enough. He's still growing into it. They're a young team. They've got good players. Milano, like I said, another one. I, I think their secondary is good. I, I like their safeties. Um, I just like what they're doing. I think they have a chance to be a, a pretty darn good defense. I think uh, this is just the start. As the game goes on, you'll solidify what ends up happening and get on the same page. Communication is a big deal, right? Especially on the defensive side. Uh, you have to all be on the same page. And uh, pretty soon you don't even have to hear all the call. You just hear the beginning of the call or you start to anticipate the call and it makes you that much better. So I think with time, this, this group gets even better. Matt, you were around a lot of good defenses during your NFL playing career, and I wonder uh, if you can talk about what made the Raiders so formidable back then. You won some Super Bowls with the Raiders, uh, the Al Davis Raiders, uh, and I guess this is a question I have. Is the NFL considerably different than it was when you were back then with the Raiders and, and winning the championships? The NFL itself as a league is not. The NFL itself as how it's how the rules have changed has changed the game. I mean, that's, it's changed the game significantly. And so um, that's not to say that the players back then couldn't play. Now they would adapt. And I always hear the same thing, like bigger, faster, stronger. And I think that's a bunch of BS <laughs> because to be honest with you, look, you take a guy like Art Shell, they listed Art Shell as six, five and 280 pounds. Art didn't see 280 from the time he was a rookie. <laughs> you know, Art was 330, but they just wrote 280, right? They listed me as 250, right? I played my whole career at 270. So the people were big. The people still had the same attributes. The rules have changed. And uh, and the way that has gone, I think you have to evolve in that regard. It's still the best game we have. Some of the things I don't, I'm not real fond of. Like, you know, back in the day, here's why, and this is even before, when I first came into the league, before Jim Kelly even got in there, but Jim, he kind of exemplifies the, the whole thing for me. 
because uh, he was just a tough sucker. Before Jim got in the league, though, in the early part of, the, of my of my career, the the rule was, you know, you 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 get a couple of hits on the quarterback, even if you take the penalty. Don't worry about it. And guys like Dan Fouts, the tougher you, the more you hit him, the more pissed off he got, and the better he got. <laughs> yeah, I can. This is a true story. Jim, Jim's a friend of mine, and I I love the guy, and. uh I he, he heard this and he he asked me he asked me one time if it was true and and it was true and we were playing the Bills and we had a defensive end Greg Townsend and he came off the edge a couple of times and he got a couple of hits on him and he came back into the huddle and they were getting ready you know line up for the next play and he said something about hitting Jim Kelly and how he turned to him and said don't hit him you're pissing him off he's just going to get better. <laughs> I read somewhere, maybe you said it, you you tried, you tried, thought about recruiting Kelly to Penn State, but you realized he wouldn't be a quarterback there, huh? Oh, no, no. So I, I was recruiting. So the way we used to recruit at Penn State, you know, they'd bring him in and they'd assign us a guy. So two of the guys, ironically, that I had was Jim Kelly was one of them, and and uh, Dan Marino was the other one, not at the same time on, on separate occasions. Right. But when Jim was there, you know, <laughs> I – I, you know, I said, well, where do you think they're going to play up here, Jim? And he said, you know, I'm a quarterback. And I said to him, well, you're going to be the best throwing quarterback on our team, <laughs> I can tell you. <laughs> I mean, best the best throwing linebacker on our team. Is it because, you know, Jim played, and he was such a tough kid. He was a physical guy. And he had all the markings of being a linebacker. And so, thank goodness they didn't do that. And we were able to enjoy him as a quarterback. Yeah. Matt, you played obviously linebacker at a very high level for the Raiders. And then you went on to the, uh, to the 49ers, uh, I guess from Oakland or maybe LA to San Francisco. And I read and heard you actually interviewed about this. When you went to the Niners, you thought they needed to toughen up a little bit. In fact, you referred to them kind of a, a team of pussies. Huh? You thought they needed to be a little bit tougher. Yeah. Not a, not a particularly physical group. I remember specifically watching their linebacking crew with the uh, with the Niner coaches and the coaches, the guys who were there at the time had coached me in Oakland. Uh, Bob Zeman was the guy and uh, Z was watching. He showed me his film and I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> That's how they do this. Man, this is, this is soft. And so look, there's a lot of fans out there and there's a lot of people who have no idea how the game is really played. Right. And so they'll see a guy who makes a lot of tackles and they think that he's a really good player. I, I watch different positions. I see how they play the position. I watch that. And I study it. And so, and I'm not the only one. Lots of people do this. And so there are guys who are physical. There are guys who are not physical. There are guys who are productive because they make a lot of tackles. The problem is sometimes it's second and two. Who cares, right? Safeties can make those tackles. Get your rear end up there. Take a guy on. Hit him in the face. Get rid of the block. Control the line of scrimmage, and make sure it's you know second and nine. That's a good football player to me. And so um, games change a little bit, but that's exactly what we were, and that's where we were in San Francisco when I got there. That changed, and so and I wasn't the only one. You know, it was just a mindset you had to change. You just had to be. You just had to be physical. Look, Ronnie Lott could do it from the back end, right? We needed somebody up front to kind of bring that together, and then, and we were able to get it done. You finished up your playing career with um, 
a season in Washington and won a Super Bowl there. I was looking at the uh, and looking back at the history. You did not play in the Super Bowl against the Bills around the sidelines, and yet the video showed you exhorting, but you're like a, a, a hyperactive coach on the sidelines for Super Bowl 26, huh? Yeah, I probably should have got into coaching, but I never did. I blame Coach Madden for that. But I, <laughs> no, John's told me the same thing. I should have coached, but um, no. So that game was a weird year, right? So I was not accustomed to playing a, a football like that. So to me, you get, you know, you go out there, you get them into third and long or whatever. If it's third and long, then I would come out. Other than that, I'm on the field. Uh, Washington didn't play like that. They, they had it a completely different structure. They just had like a first and 10 group or a, a second and long group or, and I was like, I can't do this. You, <laughs> It's no flow. You can't do that. And so, and I would always play a very physical game on the interior. So you had to just, you know, start cracking heads in there. That's why I retired to be honest with you. I, I, I wasn't going to go through that again. You went on to broadcast, and I'm going to get to that in a moment. You also went on to the Detroit Lions, where you were the president and the uh, CEO, general manager of the Lions for about eight seasons. Uh, you've had time to reflect now. What do you think of those years, and what would you have done differently if you, as you look back on that? What I would have done differently is I would have, I would have known the league better than I didn't know the league at all. You know, so I, and when I say the league, I didn't know who to hire. I was out of touch with all that because I had been in broadcasting. And so I knew, I know guys, don't get me wrong. Like, for example, like, like I know Brian Dable. Okay. So I think Brian's a good coach, but I don't know him. Right. I don't know. I don't know really his philosophy. I don't know. There's a lot of things you don't know. And I think to do that, you really have to be tied in with somebody and even if, you know, I get somebody in and bring them in and put them on the board, we can talk X's and O's all day. That's not, that's kind of what they believe. That's not what they're going to do. And so um, I think that was the first thing. I would have probably gone into it at a lower level and just try to work my way up and learn as much about the league as possible. The football part is still football. That doesn't change. The X's and O's, all that stuff, that's the easy part. The hard part is the people part. And so, uh, and, and to, in short, pretty much I was in over my head. That's pretty much what it was, right? I just, I didn't know enough I of what I, if you're running an organization, you have to understand how that organization works and then how you want, where you want it to get it. You have to have a starting point before you can get to an ending point. And I, I, uh, I probably didn't even know my starting point. It, it takes a lot of reflection to be able to say that, you know, I was in over my head. Yeah, it takes half a brain. I, I just proved it. <laughs> <laughs> it was important to you. I think, uh, and I've heard you say this, that you, you didn't quit the lines despite some difficult years. You were let go. You were, you were dismissed, right? You weren't, you were determined not yeah, to quit. Probably a smarter guy would have packed it in. <laughs> uh, but you, you know what happens? You get into the fight and you just, I can't help myself. That's just, you just, you just keep swinging. And then, you know, there's a lot of, there's just a lot of things that go on. It just happens. And a lot of it, a lot of it's your fault and some of it isn't, but in the end, if your name's at the top of the list, you take the hit and you move on. And that's the way it is. Matt, did you ever regret 
I mean, the path you were on with Fox back then probably would have led to being the number one color analyst. Did you ever regret leaving broadcasting to, to run the Lions? No, I'm not a regret guy. The only regret I've ever had is I should have wrestled. That's it. I was talking to, uh, I was talking to Sean McDermott about that the other day just because um, when I really realized what the sport of wrestling is, I was like, I can't believe I didn't wrestle. I, I just can't believe it. It's like the greatest sport ever. What, what appeals about wrestling? And what did Sean tell you about wrestling? Oh, I watched the kid. Well, he was a kid then. Yeah. So my son's, uh, Matthew, I think is six years younger than Sean. And so I would see Sean at these open tournaments. And so I knew who he was. I knew, you know, I watched him. He's a really good wrestler. He was tough on the bottom. He wasn't as good on top. But he was tough, and he was a good, good wrestler. The thing you love about wrestling is it's just you, right? You figure it out. It's about being smart that quick, getting into the next move, countering things. It's it's a, a great mental. That part of it is is a good mental thing, and the other part is you don't. You just can't quit. You cannot quit. And when you have those two attributes, you know you need some natural skills, but. Um, when you have that attribute that you're not going to pack it in, I mean, the great ones, they just keep on going, man. They just don't stop. They just maul you. I love that. Matt, you've uh, worked your way back into broadcasting, did the Bills game this past uh, this past Sunday. It's important to note that you really had a serious health challenge, what, about a little bit more than two years ago, right? You, you had a heart disease and you had a transplant, a heart transplant. How did that right. change your perspective, if, if at all? Um, did it change my perspective? Yeah, probably it has a little bit. Um, I've always been pretty pragmatic. I'm one of those guys that I kind of, it is what it is. You know, I've always thought that. And I was good if, you know, if I didn't get a heart, I was okay with that. And so you just move on because we're all getting there the same, you know, we're getting there sooner or later. Right. Um, so that part was fine. I, the biggest thing was just your family. You know, you have the kids and their kids. And of course, my wife was a awesome. I got the greatest wife in the world. She, she should have wrestled. She's tough. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so we came through it. We're, you know, we're doing fine. And, you know, it's a weird disease. It's amyloidosis. And uh, there's, no, there's no cure for it. So I still have it. Um, you just kind of try to keep it at bay. But eventually it'll get me. And that's, that's fine with me. Man, it's great that you work the Bills broadcast. Great to talk to you today. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Yeah, good. Thank you. Good luck to those guys. I think. I think you got a fair shot. I think uh, I think the Bills have a chance to make up the ground they lost a year ago. So I'll be anxious to watch it. You're listening to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff with your host, John Murphy. Welcome back to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. Our guest is the director of the specialty division of Kohler Distributing in northern New Jersey. Mike Decker is our guest. Mike, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having us. Look forward to speaking with you. We should let people know that uh, Kohler Distributing deals with Northern New Jersey, which was a, is a good area for Sullivan's. But before we get too far into it, can you just explain for those who may not know what a place like Kohler does, how a distributor like Kohler fits into the entire uh, beer system in the United States? Sure, sure. So, uh, you know, consumer will walk into a liquor store or a New York a grocery store, wherever, you know, depending on where you are, and they want to buy a case of Sullivan's. Um, 
So they walk into the store and, and obviously they buy some Sullivan's. Well, that store has bought the beer from us, from a wholesaler or a distributor, uh, depending on what part of the country are, but they're basically the same thing. So we as the wholesaler uh, deliver the Sullivan's to those stores. We have a contract, usually a contract or a contract of agreement with different suppliers, Sullivan's being one, it could be the Heineken supplier, it could be Molson Coors, it could be Corona, all that. And in most markets, um, there's a territory. So if you walk into North Jersey right now and you want to buy a four pack of Sullivan's or a case of Sullivan's, which would be, be even better, yeah. that store has bought it from us and we in turn have bought it from Sullivan's. So we're, we're, we're called uh, you know, the, the second tier because Sullivan's, well, Sullivan's actually two tiers because they're not only the manufacturer, but they're the, whole, they're the importer into the US. We buy it from them. We sell it to the stores. The stores give, have it there for you as a consumer to come get it. You know, and without getting too much into history, there is history to this, right? The way it is set up in the United States, it goes oh, back for to sure. the end of Prohibition, right? It's almost exactly, 100 years old. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. It came, uh, it, it was there uh, prior to Prohibition. Um, and then every state has different state laws, John. And one of the things that has happened over the years is some states, like, for instance, the state of Pennsylvania, you have Yingling is a very popular beer, uh, and it's it start you know its home is Pennsylvania. They have a di Pennsylvania distributor license, and with state law, because they're an in-state uh, uh, supplier, they could, if they if they choose to, they could deliver to every store in Pennsylvania. Now that wouldn't be efficient; it wouldn't be good. And Dick Yingling said, "I'm not doing that." But you know, the wholesalers have been around since before prohibition and then they've altered a little bit throughout every state, but every state has different laws, but pretty much every state um, has a three tier network, which is what we call a wholesaler. And, and I want to ask you about the uh, colder in particular. You also uh, deal with wine and spirits as well as beer, which is I think unusual. We're not used to seeing that here in New York state, but what does that mean for colder as far as the kind of business you do? Well, one of the one of the differences between us and New Jersey and New York is New York, you, you do see um, beer wholesalers do carry wine because they can sell wine, but they can't carry liquor because it's state controlled. Right. In New Jersey, we're not state controlled. So our liquor stores sell everything. So the, our liquor, our customers sell beer, wine and liquor. So it's we have liquor companies that sell beer and wine. We, we sell I think it's about 96 percent beer, but we do have a little bit of liquor and and some wine, uh, and, and primarily we can do it because we sell to the same customer. So it just makes it a little easier. Hey, Mike, when we introduce you, we introduce you as the director of the specialty division at Kohler. What does that mean? What does that entail? Well, right now, back in the day, uh, when I started in business, it was just really, you had imported beers, you had domestic beers, and then a couple of segments in there. You, know, you may have, a, have the economy, which is a little bit of low-end beer. In today's world, the beverage world, the alcoholic beverage world, there are so many segments. There's seltzers, there's alcoholic water, there's, there's uh, alcoholic sodas, there's uh, 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 what we call FMBs, which are like the twisted teas of the world. So in addition to imports and domestic beers, which are still there, you have all these other segments. So what we've done at Kohler is we've said, hey, we're going to put all these segments that are uh, – traditionally, they're not as high volume – uh, as some as the Coronas and the Miller and Coors of the world, but we're going to put that in a special division because we feel they need a little bit of an added uh, concentration, added support, um, uh, and so we've created the special division so that we can 
focus primarily on those and innovation because every year there's all these new products, new packages. So my team really kind of sources out innovation that can help us build our portfolio and then adds a little bit of added um, support and and, uh, uh, attention to some of these smaller kind of niche or specialty brands. How did you get started in this, uh, in this business, Mike? (laughs) Uh, I, Graduated from school, didn't know what I wanted to do, mm-hmm. and had a job offer for uh, to work at a bank, and uh, went to a recruiter, and they said, "Have you ever thought about selling alcohol?" And I, quite frankly, didn't know people sold alcohol. I thought it just kind of showed up on the shelf, you like know? manna from yeah. heaven or something. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. twenty-one. That's what you think, right? <laughs> and uh, that's really all you care about, too. So, uh, but I went, and I liked the the. You know, it's it's a very um, uh, there's a lot of personal, uh, personal, uh, personal interaction in this business. Uh, and I went, and I remember I spent the day with a guy in DC and we drove around and we got to see different stores, we got to drive around and I liked the activity. I liked not being behind a desk. So I went into it and that was, uh, quite a few years ago, John, and I've been in it my whole life. Working did you, life. did you work for or with Guinness for a while, Mike? I did. I, uh, I started with a wholesaler in Washington, DC for a couple of years. And then I, I uh, was fortunate enough to get a job with Guinness import at the time it was Guinness import company. It's now Diageo. So it's a, a bigger company with not only beer, but also with the liquor and, and wine. But I worked for, strictly for Guinness just on the beer side. And I worked for the, for, I worked there for 10 years. So, you know, yeah, kind of cut Su- my teeth there. Yeah. Here at Sullivan's, obviously we, we compete with Guinness to a certain extent. Although when you say it's a, a larger company, it is, it's a, it's a behemoth. It's an international uh, behemoth company, isn't it? Right. Well, Diageo is more yeah. so than Guinness ever was back, back then Guinness wasn't the Guinness you see in the U S today. Uh, so, I mean, we did a lot of door to door account to account selling. Obviously the Irish pubs always carried the Guinness, but now you walk into any, most bars, uh, craft bars, local bars, there's a, there's a Guinness tap there. And I like to think me and my colleagues uh, back in the day were, were a big part of that because I, I feel that we were there when Guinness really started to grow. And now I'm, the behemoth is Diageo because now it's part of a huge conglomerate with Smirnoff, um, uh, uh, Smir- Smirnoff uh, uh, Ice, and then also all the liquor and wines that Diageo has. When I was working there, it was strictly beer. And in the U.S., we, we weren't that big. But uh, it was a great, great learning experience. A lot of great people I had the good fortune of working with. And, and again, we built it uh, store by store, account by account, tap by tap. Hey, Mike, when you look at Sullivan's Brewing Company, how, where does that stand? Not necessarily compared to Guinness, but in, the, in your world, the specialty division of, of beer, where does Sullivan's stand? And, and how do they well, rank what, one of the things we look at is uh, we have a very diversified portfolio. North Jersey is extremely diverse. Um, and uh, so our portfolio, hence, is extremely diverse. We didn't have an, an Irish import. So when Michael Mead and I started, when we started conversations, we were very interested. I have to say part of my interest was because I was with Guinness and another Irish beer, you know, got me back to my roots and, and yeah, to, sure. my, to where I started. Um but within the portfolio, it fits. So we're not going to be selling against ourselves. We'll be selling against competition. And our thought was, look, we're, we're not going to replace Guinness in most accounts. right? But if you look around right now and you look at these bars and they have six, seven, eight IPAs on, they have three light beers, and you're an Irish pub or a good beer bar, what's wrong with having two stouts? I think that personally, I think the tastes are uh, distinctly different. 
Um, the, the Red Maltings Ale is, is a terrific brand that really has, in my opinion, very little competition out there. And the Irish Gold, um, you know, it's third in my list, but still a very, very good beer. And so we felt that, hey, you know what, this, this is incremental to our portfolio, and that's what we want. We don't want, you know, we want, why take product away from product we already sell? That doesn't make any sense. So we thought Sullivan's fit very nicely with Kohler and being in a heavy Irish, uh, good drinking area. Um, and we're, we, we have a very, um, uh, our clientele is, is high end when it comes to, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, wealth, we thought this could really fit in nicely for us. And, and is it fitting in? How do you see it working? It is. Unfortunately, uh, we started with, uh, Sullivan's February, 2020. Uh, so <laughs> we didn't, you know, obviously we didn't get the, uh, we didn't get almost no effect from St. Patrick's day that year, obviously. Sure. So we, we kind of, we, we hung with it. We sold a lot of cans over the course of 2020. And then this year to be in the year heading into St. Patrick's day, we put a big focus around the draft, did some things, uh, have maintained some of those accounts. And we actually just finished doing about a half a dozen, a little more than half a dozen halfway to St. Patrick's day parties. We have our last one tomorrow night, uh, in, around the area. So again, th the other thing, John, that's really cool is I, as I mentioned to you earlier, when I started with Guinness, it was account by account you know, tap by tap. And that's what I'm going through now. So it's kind of, kind of bringing me back to where my roots are, where I started, which is a really cool thing at this point in my career. Talking with Mike Decker, the director of specialty uh, division for Kohler distributing, distributing in Northern New Jersey. And you mentioned the diversity of, of your market area and it does hit me, you know, when you talk about Newark, New Jersey, Jersey city, Hoboken, these are major urban areas and you also right. have a lot of suburban and even rural areas in, in your territory, don't you? It is pretty diverse area. Yeah. It, it is extremely diverse and it's not that far away. I mean, you can yeah. go from Newark to, I mean, unbelievably beautiful rolling hills and countryside in probably 45 minutes. Uh, it's really amazing. So our northwestern part, we, we border New York and Pennsylvania. It's, you know, you, you have uh, uh, account, very few hotels, accounts that are, you know, a few miles away from each other. Then you go back into Newark, you go into Hoboken, Jersey City. Patterson, where accounts are literally one block from one another. So, and then, and then, then when you look at the ethnic bill, uh, ethnic diversity of our customers, uh, it's, it's just amazing. We have, you know, you name it, we have beers from all over the world, South America, Central America, uh, Europe, Eastern Europe, Asia, Africa. It's really, uh, it's really diverse, but it keeps us on our toes and, and keeps it exciting. You know, you're in the specialty division, Mike, and I've, I've read somewhere that um, overall beer customers are maybe less loyal now to a certain brand oh. than they have been at any time in, in the recent past. Do you see that to be the case? No, but most definitely most of, and the, the surprising thing with that is that that's absolutely 100% accurate. I mean, back in the day, I, John, you know, I hate to say this, you know, we, we, you know, when I was in college, my roommates and I was five bucks for a case of Schaefer. That's what we drank. Sure. We drank Schaefer and yeah. nothing else. Right. Yeah. And, and back then, you know, I can't remember the exact number, but, people had maybe three or four brands that they drank when it came to beer. And then I think the same was probably true with wine and, and probably with liquor too. Now it's unbelievable what everyone drinks. And there, and as I mentioned earlier, the different segments within the, the industry right now, people go back and forth, you know, they drink wine, they'll drink beer, they'll drink seltzers, they'll drink like a twisted tea, they'll drink the Sullivan's. And so right now what, what we like to say is it's very much occasion based. So it's really, you know, is it a, you know, a barbecue at your buddy's house with 20 people. 
you're drinking something completely different than if you're going out to a bar. Are you going out to a bar for dinner or just to meet friends and have a few drinks? Everything is so, it's just a cornucopia of, of, of choices, cornucopia of, of opportunities, and, and it's really how people feel. But it, and, and the interesting thing, most interesting thing to me is, again, as I mentioned to you, you know, back in the day, and I don't know if you had, but I drank a few beers, right? Those, these were four in my, you know, in, in kind of my uh, area. And people are my age now, and even a little bit younger, they, they had that small choice or select, you know, select group that they had, but they've expanded. So you see a lot of people now, the parties that I go to and the get togethers, people my age are bringing in seltzers. They're bringing in these ready to drink cocktails They're bringing in the twisted tea. So it's, it's really, it's a challenge because things change so quickly and there's no loyalty. Uh, but, and that's all the more reason to have a diverse portfolio. I think. With, with that in mind, Mike, how would you advise not just Sullivan's, but a company like Sullivan's in, in Sullivan's case, a, a craft imported Irish beer, how, how can they position themselves to, I guess, take advantage of the kind of, uh, you know, sampling that people do. Right. Well, well, the first thing in my, again, my opinion is the first thing is quality, right? At the end of the day, you have to have a good product. And I think Sullivan's has a terrific product, right? So that's one, two is packaging. So if the packaging is appealing, that's going to, you know, people are going to try it. They're going to look at, hey, really nice can. I, I, you can't imagine how many times people will try things. They look at the can and, you know, the Irish have a saying, you taste it with your, with your eyes before it ever touches your lips. And, and that's true of almost everything. They look at the packaging and everything. And in their mind, they're like, hey, I think I'm going to like this because it's a good package. So that's good. The other thing that I think is important in today's, uh, uh, you know, uh, industry is what's the story? If you have the time to sample the beer, talk about the beer, and Michael Mead is a great guy to do this, and some of the people that work for him is, what's the story? And there's a great story behind Sullivan's. So when they tell the story, that draws people in. And now people are a little bit more in tune to say, hey, you know what? That's a great story. I really like this. And, and you, what you find is you'll, we, we've been in bars and restaurants where you tell the story about Sullivan's, and you, you hear them saying to their buddies, yeah, this Hey, did you guys try the Sullivan's? This guy over here just told me a little bit about. So they like to share. People like to share stories, right? Sure. Where better to share a story than in a bar or in a gathering of friends? And so, you know, all those things go in. But first, it starts with quality, and I think Sullivan's has. Hey, Mike, you're the, the specialty uh, uh, beer division at Kohler. There's as we talked about earlier, your company also has wine and spirits. This, let me throw a curveball at you. Here in New York State, we are maybe months away from legalized cannabis. I'm I'm certain it's coming to New Jersey if it hasn't already. Is that a threat to the uh, beer and alcohol industry? Is it a something? It's it's hard to say. Um, There's other states like Colorado, California, and some others where we're getting mixed results from them. Um, um, Some people say it is. Some people say it isn't. Um, So it's very difficult to say. Um, I, again, I think because it's a because we've become such an occasion-based um, society, I, I think there's room for both. And the interesting thing is, the biggest question we have is what's going to happen to to uh, cannabis or CBC or THC in beverage, because there are products out there, non-alcoholic and some uh, that are CBC-based um, products. So we're you know, one of the things we've been talking about, we've spoken to a couple of products with CBC in them is, is this something we want to get into because down the road, if they become products that, that contain THC, is that something that helps us kind of, kind of cross that, you know, kind of marriage the two together. 
So we, we have to be very cognizant of it. But but most of the the uh, information that I've gotten that I've been aware of, it, it's there's no nobody in Colorado saying it's definitely hurting beer or it's definitely helping beer. So I, I think we're still a little bit too early to see how how that's going to affect us. This business is very dynamic. It changes very quickly, doesn't it? No, it's unbelievable. I mean, I, we, you know, we talk about it all the time. You know, I talk about it with the cronies that I've been in business with for a while. And, you know, from a marketing standpoint or a brand standpoint, you know, you'd have a brand that did well and that thing would do well for six years, 10 years, a dozen years longer. And then you'd have marketing programs uh, that would do well for six years. And I, to me, the last one that I can remember, it was uh, the Dos Equis one, the most interesting man. Yeah. That thing had a life, I can't remember exactly, but I, I want to say maybe five or six years. If you have a shelf life now of six months, you know, you're, you're on the, you're on the long end of a marketing <laughs> program. If you're, you know, there's products that have come out and have had one summer of sales and then completely tanked. So very, di- very diverse, uh, very dynamic uh, and, um, uh, you know, very interesting. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like very fun, too. Mike, thank you for this. We really appreciate it. Thanks. Hey, John, it was, it was a pleasure. I liked it. Um, and uh, thank you so much. And thanks, Sullivan's. Mike Decker, Director of Specialty Division at Kohler Distributing in Northern New Jersey. You're listening to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff with John Murphy. Well, that's going to wrap it up. That's this installment of Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff with me, John Murphy. Thanks for tuning in. I want to thank our guests. Just heard from Mike Detker of Kohler Distributing in northern New Jersey. It's a big territory for Sullivan's. It's the suburbs of New York City, outside uh, New York City in northern New Jersey. Big territory, and it was great to hear from Mike Decker. I want to thank our other guest, Matt Millen. He spent 12 years playing in the NFL. He spent his whole life in the NFL, now a broadcaster once again. He, of course, did the Bills and Miami game on Fox TV this past Sunday, and he does college games on Big Ten Network, former GM and president of the Detroit Lions. A lot of amazing experience there. Thanks to Matt Millen. Love talking with him. We are brought to you by Sullivan's Brewing Company from Kilkenny, Ireland, the makers of Sullivan's Maltings Irish Red Ale, Sullivan's Irish Gold Ale, and Sullivan's Black Marble Stout. Look for it in your favorite bar or tavern. Look for it on the shelves up here in the Buffalo area. You can find it on the shelves at Wegmans and Consumers Beverages. Many other stores have it, too. Just ask for it in your favorite bar or tavern. Sullivan's Brewing Company, Sullivan's Maltings Irish Red Ale, Sullivan's Irish Gold Ale, Sullivan's Black Marble Stout. If you have a comment or a question about Sullivan's or about the Bills or whatever, shoot us an email. That's the best way to do it. You can reach us at Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff at gmail.com. Again, one word, Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff at gmail.com. I want to thank the man who puts it all together for us on a weekly basis. Our thanks to our producer, Pat Felball. And thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next week right here on Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. You've been listening to John Murphy and Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. It's all about the Bills and the beers.